Escape the ordinary with green and blacks. Wildly, deliciously organic. Sponsor of The Moments That Made Me, the weekend podcast. A rich, intense chocolate to savour. Hello and welcome to a very special edition of The Moments That Made Me with me, Esther McCarthy. So it's sustainability month. So that means every May at the Irish Examiner here, um, we try to just focus in on green themes. We champion the people who are making our country that little bit better from environmental perspective. And I suppose it's just stopping and slowing down and thinking about ways that we can be a little bit more eco-friendly, both in our business and in our in our own lives at home. And just the little things that we can do to try and help. Because it can seem quite daunting, you know, it's this massive thing, we have to save the planet. We we all know how dire the situation is, but I suppose we bring it back and focus on the little things we can do every day um, that can make a difference too. So we asked two of our relatively new columnists, they've come on board within the last year, it's comedian Bernard O'Shea and psychotherapist Dr. Colman Nocter. Now, Bernard, of course, very well-known face and voice. He's on the telly all the time. He's on the radio with Dermot and Dave on Today Fame. Uh, he's an author. His latest book, Manopause, is in the shops now. And he writes a column for us in the Lifestyle page. It's called Under the Influence, and that's every Monday. And Dr. Colman Nocter is here too. He's the Assistant Professor of Mental Health Nursing in University College Dublin. He's a child and adolescent psychotherapist and very well known. He's a social commentator, author, he's public speaker. And of course, he has a lovely weekly column in um, the Irish Examiner every Friday in our Feel Good Supplement. He also has his own podcast, so he should really be telling me how to do this because I'm totally winging it. It's called Asking for a Parent. So welcome, guys. Thanks so much for joining us. Bernard, I want to start with you because you recently wrote in your column about being a sausage flexitarian. And I'd love to hear more about that and how it actually links into this sustainability theme for our podcast this morning. Really, what I was looking for was that instead of making this grand gesture of seeing how can I be sustainable with food, because it's the one thing that does my head in, which is I make three dinners now for the kids. Because one likes pasta, the other likes potatoes, the other likes... So, and I end up throwing it out. And uh, and sometimes with the meat as well, sometimes the chicken, they don't like the skin on it. Or the, and, and I actually, for the first time, maybe it's because I'm getting older, I thought, you know, that plant had to grow. Somebody had to tend to it. That animal was reared and slaughtered. And I'm just throwing it into the bin. So I, I kind of felt, well, before I start looking at coyote agreements and cap what they're doing... Uh, what can I do? And I just and I and my wife was constantly giving out to me for the last few months, saying like there's not enough in the fridge. But I purposely said no because we're going to throw it out. We buy these vegetables, we put them in the fridge, and we just throw them out. So uh, I'm not getting to eat them all, even though I know it uh, looks like I've eaten all the food. But uh, the um, so the only sustainable food in our house is sausages. That's the only food that we don't throw out because the kids love sausages. And I know from uh, growing up that the pig is a very sustainable animal. It eats everything. It, people used to have one in the back of their houses for, for most of it. There's still piggeries in city centres and stuff like that. But I kind of felt, well, you know, what is the sustainability around sausage? I've never thrown this out. Can I, make, can I get a more sustainable sausage? And uh, I was in the supermarket and uh, I normally buy the, this is my favourite thing, I normally buy the Super Quinn sausage in the supermarket. <laughs> 
<laughs> which is one of these great, which in itself is an article about how Irish people get so attached to one thing. It's still called, you know, I'd love to know what was going on there. It was like this cultural revolution when it happened. No, you can't call it that. But, uh, and we get the kind of guilty ones. And I kind of mix and match. And as I said in the article, sometimes I go direct. I know a guy who knows a guy and I get uh, butcher sausages, the real deal. So anyway, I go and, uh, and I saw that the Denny made a meat-free one. And I kind of went, well, I, kn- I know that brand from growing up. So um, I bought it and I Googled it, as I do for most of my research. <laughs> I Googled it and Kerry Foods came up. Now, I, don't, I would always traditionally associate Kerry Foods with like the, the sponsor of the Kerry football team and Kerry Gold, maybe, mm. or I don't know if they even do that. And I went into their website and it was just a chocker block of how to do big companies doing sustainable food. And I was like, whoa, there's a lot of information here. A huge amount of information. They make, they're global, which I was kind of somewhat aware of, but not as big as they were. But one thing that uh, really caught my attention was this idea of flexitarianism and flexible, flexible people. And it was the art, it was the quote I took from the uh, white paper they made, which was basically saying that, these people now are going in and they never would have had vegan foods or non-meat options before. But now they're thinking about their food differently and they want to see, can they buy a more sustainable item, per, per se, for instance. So when I saw that, I went, oh, OK, so that's a that's a massive thing. And Flexitarian was there and Flexitarian came up and it was like, oh, my God, that's what I am. I'm a flexitarian. Great, because I've been called a lot of things. My wife calls me a lazy mom, right? And uh, uh, because I watch Hugh Fernley Whittingstall make chicken coops. And it's like, she goes, like, you're never going to do that. <laughs> so, uh, and I said, well, no, I'm a flexitarian. Because I am one of those people now that goes into a shop and buys these vegan options and buys these other options that probably, that I always felt, oh, they're not for me. But now I'm choosing, I'm choosing to buy these sustainable foods. And it's odd. And uh, in terms of like your, com- your, your consuming of it, but it's real in terms of the culture of it, because I'm thinking, well, look, we eat a lot of sausages. There'd be no harm to throw in a few more sustainable ones in, into it and mix and match. But again, as I'm saying, I'm not a fantastic advocate for sustainability in a way because I want it to be very handy. I want sustainability to be easy. I don't want to be the person that has to go do it. But if I, if, 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 if I just start on sausages, fair enough. That's, I feel I've done a tiny bit. As I said, there's no point in me trying to get in contact with the people who made the Kyoto Agreement. Um, I'm probably just better off buying a few vegetables. But I think sausages. that's what we all want. And it's kind of, it is up to the companies and the, you know, bigger players to make it easier for us. But I think what we all want to know, you know, we're brilliant and everything, but how did it taste? What was the sausage like? Yeah, well, the kids still liked the Clannock Kilty and the Superquin ones. Um, but Olivia, who's seven, said, Dad, why don't you just make all the vegetarian ones? We wouldn't have known, <laughs> you know, which is which was very bright, you know, kind of a um, I was really surprised by the texture. You know, that was the big thing that I kind of, this, ta- this has a texture of a sausage. Definitely you wouldn't go, this is a pork sausage. For me, anyway, but that's because probably we had pork sausages there. Mm. But, um, yeah, I'd buy them again. You know, uh, I definitely would. Um, just in terms of... Not, I, I, and here's the interesting thing. I'm not necessarily doing it out of my health. I'm doing... like, And this is why it was sausages. This is why I found it. I'm doing it out of thinking to myself, 
if I could just even mix and match a bit mm. here, flex, mm. flexitarianism, I probably could make a bit of a difference to, you know, how I feel about buying food, <laughs> if that makes any yes. sense. Do you know what I mean? Like, like, like we never throw out sausages, but sometimes I'm throwing out chicken and cauliflower and potatoes and I'm going, and maybe it's that Irish guilt of there's people in the world that have no dinners. Yeah. Uh, but I think I've gone past that. I think I'm kind of thinking we don't have a compost heap. We don't have that in the house, you know, so we live in we live in city suburbs and, you know, I'm just kind of getting past that and kind of going, no, actually, I, I do. I am that case study that that big companies yeah. test in supermarkets and tell me this. And I am a case study for it. I am that person now moving towards consciously buying different items. That's brilliant. And Coleman, he mentioned there, Olivia, his daughter, setting him straight. Do you think the kids have a big role to play in this? Or how do we get the habits formed of lifetime so that when our kids come to our age, they won't have to be flexitarians? I said it right. Because it'll just be part of the whole kind of social consciousness. Is it something we need to start now with the kids or...? Yeah, I think they're teaching us a little bit. Uh, I mean, I, I, we were doing showers the other night and, uh, you know, just trying to get one in and then the second one in. And the, my eldest lad was dawdling as he normally would. And my daughter shouted <laughs> in, Odrin, you're wasting water for the planet. You know, so there was this sort of kind of using the planet as an incentive to hurry him up. It didn't work, but it was a good try. But um, so they, they're the ones who kind of will come to us and say, which bin is this? And does this go to that? And But uh, where, where Bernard is a flexitarian, I'd be a kind of a middle of the roaditarian. Uh, I, I really avoid the kind of extremes of this. And obviously working in psychotherapy, I, I see the thin end of the wedge and I see lots of children who get obsessed with one single use plastics and they're kind of, it's kind of, driven to the extreme where there's high levels of anxiety around, you know, oh, I use the wrong thing. And, you know, and I think we need to get away from the good and bad and just trying to do enough, you know. Um, mm. And uh, you know, we, we do composting here. We try have a, we have a recycling bin. We try and, and but like Bernard, I was listening to Bernard saying there and I was kind of thinking, yeah, I, we shop for what the kid, we'd like the kids to eat as opposed to what they actually eat, you know, so we do end up throwing out a lot of cauliflower and, and stuff like that at the end of the week that goes off. Um, interestingly, the super queen sausages never are on that list, but uh, <laughs> from the point of view of, um, I think there are still ways in which we can adjust our habits, but to get a culture going, it just needs to be consistent, reliable and predictable. Um, and I, I do think this is where the young are teaching the old a bit on this, you know, but it, it, it has, what they have done, which is very good, is they've kind of made it cool. So there's quite a few teenagers who, mm. you know, teenager loves nothing better than a cause. Do you know what I mean? Especially if they can <laughs> disgruntly talk to adults who are not doing it right. And, you know, I have teenagers who, who, who are relatives of mine are saying, you know, recycling, you should be able to empty your recycling bin onto your bed. It should be that dry that nothing spills out. And when wow. they see me lobbing a, a, a half a yogurt tin with a bit in it, there's <laughs> such a disdainful look that I get. Um, so, uh, so yeah, again, I, I think we, we need to engage in it. But if it's not... If it's not easy, as Bernard says, or if it's not possible, or if it's too much hassle, it won't be sustainable. And if we use the word sustainable, sustainability has to be manageable. Um, and mm. we, it has to be sustainable to be sustainable, if that makes sense. Um, so, yes, absolutely. So I think it's, uh, yeah, it's motivating children by uh, understanding and feeling that they're doing something and they're motivated by incentive um, 
is better than motivating them by fear, which is the, you know, there's children dying in Ethiopia, finish your dinner, which is probably the way we were motivated to finish it. <laughs> what we yeah. But, um, to, yeah. but yeah, I, I think I, I learned from them, you know, and uh, my daughter, our neighbours has got a, have got an electric car here. And my daughter was saying, is our car electric, you know? And I drive a four by four pickup. <laughs> not quite, not <laughs> quite. But uh, you know, from the point of view of, um, it's it, there is that kind of the shame factor that they almost make us comply. Um, a bit like her trying to hurrying up her dilly dally brother uh, by saving the planet with the water. Yes. So yeah, yeah, we I I'm, I find myself learning more from them than perhaps the other way around. Yeah, absolutely. Green and blacks, wildly, deliciously organic. A selection of ethically sourced flavours combined with a rich cocoa intensity. And speaking of shame, Bernard felt a small bit of shame when he revealed that he didn't <laughs> wash his jeans for four weeks, more now probably. But as you said, Bernard, in your piece, it takes 1,800 gallons of water to grow the cotton for one pair of jeans, which is more than a barrel of beer, which I know which I'd prefer to pick and then if you put in the dye process and the machine washing of it it's like nearly 10,000 gallons of water just for that one pair of jeans so Bernard will you tell us about your little experiment that you did because it actually really opened my eye you know the way you hear about fast fashion and I, I would be conscious of that and I buy pre-loved and the kids have all I don't think I've ever bought anything for the kids they're all like hand-me-downs and stuff but it really opened my eyes to the whole I have about 100 pairs of jeans and how, how much do I wash them will you tell us what you did because I thought it was one of the best things I ever read to be honest with you it was just really interesting and funny at the same time which is the dream combo <laughs> well it kind of started years ago when my wife was saying that you need to wash those jeans I was going no they're perfectly clean right <laughs> do you know what I mean it's like like you don't wear them three or four times in like you know because I would feel that no these are fine and also I feel when I wash them and put them in the dryer they never fit me <laughs> I'd be like doing that jump jump trying to get them on so like the more they molded into my body, I felt the better. <laughs> so um, I would generally leave them go two weeks. And then I just Googled it and it was like, whoa, the CEO of Levi's doesn't wash his jeans at all. And uh, and then, yeah, I think it's the University of Arkansas did the experiment and your man went a full 18 months or something and he washed them. And then he went two weeks and he washed them. And when they did the, the, the swab test, they were exactly the same. There was no difference. So, so, and, and it's not that the, the, the denim has this magical properties. It's just that they don't need necessarily to be washed. If you get one of the killers in our house is, is yogurt, if they just rub their hands into it. So um, they say that putting them in the freezer is an old wives tale, but it's actually, um, it worked for me because if there's yogurt, it does freeze and you can crack it off in the morning, you know? But I, I was putting them in the freezer, which, which, which Olivia would shout up the stairs, Mom, Dad's put taking these trousers out of the fridge again. You know, and it was, there was a bit of that going on. But mm. when I saw the amount of water used to clean jeans, I was like, holy shit, this is so much water. Like, like to, the, to the point where it was something like if you left your, your hose running for nearly the day, you're talking about a pair of jeans. You know, like, you know, it's it's crazy. Also, sorry, I'm talking about the, from growing the cotton to manufacturing and all that kind of stuff. So um, I, I just kind of felt, and plus the patina, which is the new word now in fashion, the patina for it, it kind of comes in the glossiness and stuff like that. That that comes out more uh, when, 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 you're, when you're not washed as well. And the big thing is they don't wear as quickly. So you have them for longer. 
Um, but the but the science behind it is showing that they're actually not as they're not that dirty, you know. So um, and when I used to cycle, I don't cycle that much anymore. But when I used to cycle, the crotch area used to constantly wear off them as well. <laughs> do you know what I mean? So I, I would kind of be really conscious of putting them in the washing machine. But um, the big thing that that came out of that for me was. Uh, uh, was the idea that I, I wasn't necessarily not just washing my jeans too much. I was washing mm. my clothes too much. You know, so like, because when I get out of the shower, I, I put on, I'm very old school. I have, I have the roll, I have the unroll, I have the, do you know what I mean? Talk us through, Bernard. Set the scene there. That's a different podcast. You know, uh, <laughs> that's a different podcast. But uh, excuse me, yeah, sorry. Um, yeah, as somebody once said, you know, you'd, you'd be far more successful if you weren't as highly inappropriate, uh, which is fair enough point, I, I get it. But the um, but what I felt was that I wasn't smelling my clothes anymore like I was in a student. You know when you're a student, you go, I'd have Sniff to do test. It. You know, because I was, you know, you know what I mean? And uh, so I started smelling my clothes again and going, actually, that just needs an iron or maybe it even doesn't. Or, or, or like, I'm a terrible man for um, for shirts. So I just wear this day and then wash it tomorrow and it'd be perfectly clean. And I'd be going, so I actually cut down a huge amount on the actual amount of clothes that I was washing. And it wasn't that I'm dirty or it wasn't that, I know people say, how can you shower and put on something that's dirty? But it wouldn't be that dirty. You know, I, I check it obviously. And, and with deodorants, they work so well as well. It's not like before, if you didn't put, if I didn't put none, yeah, you'd have a go, that has to go in the wash. Um, but you know, you obviously you, you're skirting through this, you know, this kind of, I suppose, idea of is there body odor? Does that guy smell? You know, it's and then you look at the French in the 1600s, 1700s. They never it was just you did not wash yourself. You know, it was more perfume and perfume and perfume. And, you know, so no, is not that the that level that's we're I'm going doing. for now, is it? <laughs> that French aristocracy. Yeah, that's the level. French. But like, you know, yeah, it, yeah. It, that's the bar. It's, um, yeah, uh, the 17th century Frenchman, yeah, or court, courting. Uh, but no, it, 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 it was just, the big thing for me was that I kind of felt there's a match definitely happening now with what was happening around the turn of the century with, say, uh, you didn't have that much money for clothes, mm. shoes, um, stuff in your house. Mm to the, the boom in the 60s, the plastic culture, the throwaway culture, all that. Now it's looking back. So one was economical. Mm. You, you, when you got things, you minded them and you, you took care of them and there was upkeep of them because it was economic factor. You just didn't have money. Then we went through an excess culture kind of, and now we're kind of going, actually, this is damaging the planet. It's not sustainable. We need to rethink this. But we're actually kind of going straight back to the first time, like, for instance, I, I bought a pair of Grenson boots. They're, a brand, they're an English brand name. And the reason why I bought them was that I was so fed up of going into shoe shops. So I was going through about four to six pairs of shoes a year. And all I, but all I was doing was wearing the soles. I wasn't wearing the uppers. Mm. So the mm. soles would wear through. And because they're rubber or plastic or glued on, you, a, a, a cobbler goes, I can't do anything with them. So the cobbler told me, go out and buy a pair of leather soled shoes. And I bought a pair of shoes mm. and uh, boots and they were like eye-wateringly expensive for, for boots for me. But I have them now four years. It's like your man's um, um, brush in Only Fools and Horses, Trigger's brush. I, I get, so they cost me about 35 euros a year now because I just go in and get them resold. I'm not, and, and plus they're wearing to my foot. And now you, so the outlay at the top is expensive. 
but the yeah. um, but the but the maintenance and sustainability over time isn't. And I'm kind of finding that about shirts and stuff now. I buy I buy a particular brand because they're 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 heavier, they're thicker fabric. I know I don't wash them as much. I probably look after them a lot better. My wardrobe, I don't, I don't want to open it now because it, it is I cleaned up here. But <laughs> the kids are actually I, inside I've now there. Decided to go, gagged. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, Olivia, I, uh, I have a few Blink jackets. Twice. Yeah, shh, 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 get back in, get back. But the um, so, but for me, as Coleman said, there it, it it's almost more about easiness. Mm as opposed to sustainability for me, you know. Well, we're, as, as humans, Coleman, that's probably part of our setup, is it? We'll go for the easy option. Yeah, the path of least resistance is, is oftentimes the first one that we go to. But uh, just listening to Bernard there, I mean, the, the most heavily packed part of, of my wardrobe is the chair. You know, the chair is that it's, it, you wear it once, it's too clean for the washing machine, but it's too dirty for the press. And so yeah. you put it on the, and there's piles of stuff there. But I'm just listening to, to Bernard there, the idea that we say to the kids, just bring your clothes down to the wash basket. And that's a kind of a, trying to teach them a chore. But we don't actually get them to check if they could be worn the next day. So you end up washing quite a lot more than even you probably need to. And the amount of washing that we do here is phenomenal with three of them, you know. Um, but again, uh, you know, I've often wondered what that bang of Lynx Oriental was any time I ever met Bernard before, but that's <laughs> making sense now. <laughs> Java. But, uh, but, but I, I, th- I think the fast fashion thing was interesting because... Um, it was young people again that taught me about that. I remember I, I worked in a, an inpatient unit in, in Dublin and so we'd lots of teenagers in there. And I was very proudly coming in one Monday telling them about the four pairs of chinos that I got in pennies for nine euros each. And I was like so delighted with these things. And I was kind of saying, sure, even if you got a couple of wares out of them, wouldn't they be grand? And two of them sat me down and talked me through the ethics of fast fashion and uh, you know, wow. it was uh, it was eye opener for me because like the story with Bernard and, and the, the, the water for the jeans, it was kind of just never crossed my mind You know that that was something like I just saw nine euros at Paris trousers on getting 10 of them or, you know, and I remember listening to, to hearing about uh, was it might have been David Beckham or something who never wears a white T-shirt more than once. So every, it's, he likes the fresh ones and I thought oh, wouldn't that be cool and like you could nearly do that in pennies you get a, a seven pack a week or something um, and, I, and I think from the point of view of the idea around again it's awareness isn't it? It, it do you know the things that you're doing like it's only Bernard saying it there now that I'm kind of going actually I'm going to teach my kids how to do the, the smell tests mm. of their clothes rather than <laughs> now we, I don't get them coming to do it because uh my wife just got we grab it we do exactly what you said there it just mm-hmm. all goes into the washing machine yeah so whereas I can do it I suppose but it was down to my two that stick up yeah that's fine but well, that's on you for 12 days you know it's like but uh, sorry well I, I, I have yeah. three boys and literally if I don't say maybe that should go in the wash they will wear the same like the Spider-Man outfit can walk on its own because it's been worn every day but you know they're grand they're healthy So, guys, we'll finish up there now. Is there just one last thing before we go? If you could tell our listeners one thing they could do that you do yourself that's made a little bit of a difference. Bernard, I'll ask you first. What what do you reckon it would be? I suppose, in a way, make your own bed before you talk about somebody (laughs) else's bed. That that would be the big thing in terms of, like, uh, self-experiment on yourself. You know, uh, that's what, I suppose that's what my column really is. Yes. I know I try and go online and find the influences, but basically 
there's no one with lockdown it was great because there was no one else to kind of I couldn't go out and meet I couldn't go out you know even something simple as a photograph is difficult mm. so um I would do self experiments on yourself go buy a meat free sausages if, if instead of thinking how do I completely do my whole house sustainably maybe just go buy sausages <laughs> for a start or you know or maybe just maybe try maybe wear your jeans maybe a two or three days because I'm not going to do any more <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I'm just going to do small yeah. little things and hopefully they add up to they a bigger do. thing. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, you know, redo our house as mm. a passive house. We don't mm. have the money to do it. You know, so, so it, it's, um, yeah. And with the kids, it'll be just as a matter of, you know, they're kind of almost like a natural wave. As you said there, your boys won't take off their pajamas if they don't have to. Do you know what I mean? It'll probably get to an extreme level before they go, actually, this needs a wash. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So, so, so in a way, and uh, then Coleman said it as well, in, in that kind of idea that they'll teach you anyway. Like, for instance, you know the recycle thing, the mm-hmm. three arrows? I, I, and it was, it was my daughter that told me that the three of them all stand for something else, like recycle, reuse. And reduce, sort of reduce, <laughs> recycle, reduce. You know, and it was like, all right, okay, that makes sense. You know, so, um, yeah, and schools have a big part to play and they are playing a big part. Do you know what I mean? And it, you know, like you always go, oh, Jesus, they should learn it in school. They mm. are learning this mm. stuff in school and it is making a difference. And uh, yeah, and I would just say, yeah, if there was one thing, do a little experiment on yourself. <laughs> Out of context, <laughs> that might. <laughs> I am just. That's our, our, our header. Yeah, sorry. Bernard O'Shea experiment. <laughs> God, I'm just in cancelling mode this morning, aren't I? It's just it's like. <laughs> No, that's, but you know what, Bernd, I must say, like, a lot of people, you know, they'll write something and they'll pretend you have, you have drank the garlic water, you have, you know, inhaled the turmeric, you've, everything you've done for your column, you really have put the time and you've done it, like, so you can say what works and what doesn't, so we appreciate your, your hard work, you know? (laughs) Yeah, maybe not on the whole, um, sustainable thing, but the kind of way, the turmeric, I, 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 it actually is disgusting, I don't like it, right? But that idea of bringing your day to an end by doing something, you know, and it's it's turmeric and it's kind of like, you know, you boil it off and you drink it as tea and and I still do it. But it's funny that when you have an end to your day, an end goal, I don't know, maybe the maybe Coleman will have an idea of why this works. But for me, that kick started me thinking about sustainability. Maybe it's because I'm it's almost like, do you know what it's like, like the Angelus window will come on. You kind of go, I know what yeah. time it is now. You know, I know, you know <laughs> it's kind of like, not, I'm not religious, but like, you know, so, but it was, it's that kind of reflective, I don't yes. know. But it, it, it seemed to have worked backwards for me uh, in a weird way, that turmeric tea thing. It just seemed to, because it's like, well, I'm getting to this point of the day and I'm not using as much stuff. I'm definitely not. And, and uh um, but I'm overthinking. I'm still overthinking everything. I need. I need a separate session. Coleman, we'll link you up there with, <laughs> for a one-to-one session. <laughs> and Coleman, your one thing maybe that you'd suggest. Yeah, I think, I think that we could do. I think do. the the urge is to kind of go extreme. You know, go okay. We're gonna really become a completely sustainable house. Never gonna work. It's like a fad diet. You know, and regardless, of, like move more, eat less in terms of is the, the best way of And I would say approaching sustainability is the same way. It's, it's these gradual, small, little things that, that will make the difference. And, and it's exactly as Bernard said, um, you know, once you create culture, it just becomes what you do. So the Angelus at yeah. six o'clock, the Glenroll music at nine o'clock, whatever it might be, these are just the way in which it goes. So if, if you just 
if putting the, the paper in the recycling bin, the composting into the brown bin, if you do that enough, it just becomes what you do. It doesn't have to become something you have to become conscious of. And the key is to, is to make it automatic, to make it part of that. And I think the best way to do that is moderation, consistency, and just keep it going. Do you know what I mean? And keep doing it and don't give up on it. But um, ex- avoid the extremes because, you know, if you say, right, I'm never going to eat a Big Mac ever again at 11 o'clock that morning, all you can think about is a Big Mac. So, you know, just say, well, I'm going to try and eat less. Um, and I'm going to try and, you know, not wash the clothes as much. I'm probably not going to overbuy the cauliflower that ends up in the bin. And uh, yeah, small little bits will make the big difference. And I know that's a cliche in many ways, but it is actually true. It does work. Um, so yeah, that would be my tip. Thank you. Just when you were saying there, like we go for walks on the beach a bit and you know, we, we think, you know, Greta and Flossie in the beach, you know, we have to clean all the beaches, but we had a thing that we just pick up three bits of plastic each every time we go. So like it's not an insurmountable thing. It's a small thing, but you can see it. It adds up every time we go. It's easy for us to do, you know, because if you say I have to clean the whole beach, you'll never do it. You know, it's a good metaphor for life. (laughs) But if you just say I'll just do three, then it is easy and we'll do it every time. So God, I feel very uh, zen and uh... (laughs) it's it's a a loose change jar. Do you know what I mean? Just keep chipping yeah. it in, chipping it in, chipping it in. You'll empty it up after a year and there'll be 400 quid in it. Do you know what I mean? From the point of view of that. So, I mean, again, it's, it's, it, is, it can be easier than it, it doesn't have to be extreme. But again, as I said, my column this week, four to seven is where you want to be. Avoid the one, two, threes and eight, yeah. nine, tens, you know. I read that there and I really, um, I said, do you know what? I'm going to try that the four to seven because you can apply it to every part of your life. It's, and it's, Again, it's manageable. It's something that you can achieve. And then you don't feel so bad because you're not on either end of the, of the scale. Oh, it's brilliant. What is yeah, it? it's just you rate everything you do between one and ten. And if, you, if, you, if you're one, two, three or eight, nine, ten, you're going to run into a problem. So whether it's exercise, pressure, parenting, anxiety, doom scrolling. So the safest place to be is in the middle. And we, we've gotten into the world where we don't celebrate the average anymore. We have to be sensational and extreme. Uh, and actually, we're driving each other into problems yeah. because the safest place is the middle. So if you find yourself in one, two, three or eight, nine, ten, whether yeah. alcohol, food, exercise, find your way back to four to seven and you should be OK. Yeah. And it's also I've, I've noticed that with social media, we we judge people. We never judge mm. people in the middle. We judge them in their worst moments and in their greatest moments. And we forget about 90% of the phone calls <laughs> your entire yeah, life exactly. that happens in between, you know. And, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting you say that. Yeah, that, that whole idea of, wow, like, I, I would pride myself on being an average person. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, you know, and do you yeah. know what I mean? But like, you know, that kind of like, you know, I know I'm not going to have greatness in what I do. And I know I'm, there's times I can be bad at what I do. Uh, but like that idea of that, Jesus, you know, why did we lose the feeling of that it's okay just to be freaking okay at something? And for our kids you to know? know that as well, isn't it? You know, that yeah. being in that middle ground is really good. And, and it's in the narrative, you know, all you can eat data, binge watch, you know, unlimited, you know, stand out, make your mark, live your best life, be all you can be. Nonsense. Like that's just pressure. Do you know what I mean? Um, you're safest in the middle in my book. There was a great ad a few years ago for a bank. I can't remember what bank it was, where there was lovers on a beach and it was set up and going, do you know what? I've looked and looked and looked. You're the best I can do. And he goes, do you know what? I did love somebody else, but like, you know, she's gone off but, and, and you'll have to. But it was kind of going, but like, isn't that a lot of relation? Like, I'm not saying that to everyone, but like, isn't compromises, 
you know, there's You're no, a dangerous there's territory no, um, now, Bernard. <laughs> no, no, I'm not saying... Your wife already uh, called you a lazy so-and-so oh, this week. Oh, oh, yeah, well, I'll, if she could trade me in and do a PCP on my head, she definitely would. Uh, but uh, but uh, I know she would, yeah. But no, it, it, it's, it's that whole idea as well with the sustainability that if it's not in the middle, as Coleman said, if you go for this, I'm, not, I'm going to destroy the planet or I'm going to completely revamp my house and my thinking and I'm going to wear nothing only sustainable. As it comes it, it, it won't work because I'm that guy who goes from extremes mm. to a uh, thought of, of mind of, oh Jesus, panic moments. And uh, Whereas I've spent the last year trying to keep myself in mm. the middle. And, uh, you know, for somebody who, who's prone to ha- massive highs and massive lows, uh, you you can guess what I'm talking about here. Believe me, being in the middle is the loveliest place in the world. In the truth. I think that's a lovely way to end. And just to say thank you to both for giving us your time this morning. It was really interesting. I'd love to keep chatting. But um, I have to go and feed the children. Sustainable sausages. (laughs) (laughs) So thanks a million, guys. Thanks for taking part. And we'll be looking forward to reading your next columns in the Irish Examiner. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us on the special sustainability podcast, sound and editing by JJ Vernon.